Okay, we're here with my friend Darren Butcher, who runs Wisebury uh, Heritage up in Gorokan on the Central Coast in Australia. And um, I think that there's a lot of interesting things that he can share with us. Uh, Darren, how are you doing, man? Bloody fantastic. All right, just for me to start you here, can you just tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah, my name's Darren. Um, <laughs> I've been in real estate for a few years. Yeah. Um, so started in around about 91, I think it was, um, and uh, been working since then. I've got a, a lovely family, wife Renee, um, three beautiful kids, sometimes, Lucas, um, Amy and Toby. Yeah. And uh, eight, uh, 17 and 19. Toby works in the business um, full time as a salesperson. Um, Amy works in part time and uh, Lucas um, does the stickers on books and that's a pretty full time job for him too. So. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, but uh, hold on. So, so let's start. So you were in 91. Did, what, how old were you when you started in real estate? I was 17. So 91, 92 it was. So yeah, I was right okay. on the border. Yep. So you were 17. So did you do any other job prior, previous to that? No, I went to uni for a little bit and that wasn't for me. I failed. So yeah. um, What were you studying? Uh, computer science. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> if you know who I am. Who the hell got you to even try that? I don't understand. Uh, it was it was it was just that I that I was no good at school. I um I learnt later that I that I had a, a setback in life and a dyslexia. So um I uh, didn't study as good as I should have, and I enjoyed sports. So I got down on a sports scholarship down to Charles Sturt and Wagga, and it was the best time. It was unreal, but probably not good for mum and dad because I was just spending their money for no reason. Right. Listen. People who know you, they think that you're the king of results, all right? But people can't believe your achievements. Let, let, let's start it here. You, you started in 1991. I think that was when your dad started his own show. Yeah, no, a couple of years before I started. Um, and then I, uh, I swapped over. I um, had a job that I got offered a, a gig in real estate. Um, when I worked for Ruben F. Scarf just for a short time and in clothing. Then I went over to real estate, got offered the job. Then I got knocked back because um, they'd found someone more experienced. So, I so hold on, hold on. Who, who, who knocked you back? Your own parents? No, the, oh, uh, no, the, the other business. <laughs> yeah. So um, I said to them, look, I'm working six days in the clothing industry. Yeah, how about work, work the seventh for you um, for free? And um, I was in there and uh, two opportunity days, I suppose you call them, or two work experience days. And yeah. I'd knocked off two sales and got a listing, so they realised that something was there. I actually went to the boss and said to him, listen, I'm winning on the leaderboard. Um, which person do you want me to let go? And um, <laughs> so he didn't really have much choice. He said, look, I'll do that and I'll, I'll give you a spot. So um, so got in there, started selling houses. Yep. Thought I could sell one every day. Um, first day I did, second day I did, third day I went home depressed. So Dad, who was working for another agency, said to me, um, Darren, you're not going to sell one every day. And I said, well, I'm not going in if I'm not. Um, and that was my attitude right the way along. It was, you know, if you're going to go in, you might as well sell a house. Yeah. So let me ask you this before we go back to uh, your work ethics. You have that attitude that is about I either do, do it this way or in the way I want it, which is a little bit crazy in, in other people's books, or I don't do it. Was, was that attitude always around you? Was it something that is... Uh, I mean, innate or something that your parents brought into you? I think the fact that I've just got great parents and, and they uh, they would um, whip into me a lot of qualities. Um, you know, uh, it was always a strict upbringing, but, you know, I knew where I stood and I um, always wanted to make sure that I did the right thing. I didn't like getting in trouble, um, even though I did. And then, you know, learnt along um, every person you come across has got something to teach you. So um, as you start to see these different people, you start to learn different things. And look, you know, one of my, one of my best tutors was actually working for Ruben of Scarf. They are a Jewish company and they were just so good on selling techniques. And they'd convinced me that if someone walked in for a $4 shirt, they'd walk out with three or four suits and they taught me why. And uh, as soon as you realise that your mind actually is, is a very powerful tool, you realise that anything's possible. It's just, you've just got to be able to dream it and it's going to happen, so. Okay, so after a few years, you just join your father, Absolutely. right? In yep. his business. And I've heard you about your tough beginning in like early mornings. What were you doing that early? I mean, people, they still don't believe me when I talk about you. Yeah, yeah. You want to share with me, mate? What were you doing at 7 or 7.30 in the morning? Well, it actually was earlier than that. I heard, you know, I heard George uh, speak once and, and said 7.30, but uh, we were 5.30, 6 o'clock, we were in there. Yep. And, uh, you know, we would do sales advices up, we would do window cards, we would type our, 
uh, our own um, letters out. Um, you know, we would um, drive around the streets and look for which bins were out on, on the bin night because we realised that if they didn't put them out, there was a vacant property, so there's potential they could sell it. You know, you'd keep an eye on the patterns. You know, you'd drive the streets, do your sign counts early, you do your letterbox drops out early, so plenty to do. You could, before everyone woke up, we'd already done half a day. Right. And was it your own drive? Was it something that your father instilled into you? I think it's a bit of everything. I, I think my brother um, gave me a lot of it. Um, he was really competitive. And, and, you know, if I'd go out in the yard, he'd flog me at tennis, flog me at cricket, flog me at soccer, flog me at every, everything that I possibly could. Uh, wouldn't matter what it was. So I think that Matt was just such an inspiration because he was so good at everything all the time. Um, and so, you know, I learnt that. And then I seen how hard Dad worked. He, you know, he's working his three jobs while he was in real estate and the club and, and as a boilermaker. And I thought, you know what, if he can work that hard, then I can do the same thing. Let's make it happen. Now, working with your dad, how was it? Best thing ever. Yeah, best thing ever. Yeah, come on, man. I, you can say a little bit more than this. He's, yeah. he's not listening. No, no, look, I think the truth is at the end of the day, um, his moral compass is amazing. And um, he, he would not only just teach you to fish, but he'd also teach a high level of respect for people. And I think that if you respect people more than you respect the dollar that you can get out of real estate, you're always going to win. And, uh, and so that was really, really important for me. Mum was a really, really tough guidance. She was in the business too early in the piece. And she always told me a story about a father who was an electronics um, guy. And this is early when electronics weren't around, um, my pop, and, and that he would work so, so hard fixing things. And even 20 years after he died, they would bring the stuff back and they would say he's here around to fix it. Um, he fixed things so good, but he wouldn't charge anyone. He'd always do everything for free. And I realised that if you do something really, really good, you should know your worth and you should charge for it. So I had a little mixture of, of mum and dad in there. And, and look, we had great fun. We were great mates. And the harder we worked, the luckier we got. And uh, the luckier we got, the more people come in the door. And the more people that come in the door, the, the less, I suppose, of the harder tasks that we had to do and more of the fun tasks we had to do. But we had to go in and early in the piece do the hard yards. And that's an amazing thing because, I mean, I, I know of people who have their children working around them and uh, their children's almost behaving as if they're the boss. Yep. And they're bossing their parents around. And I'm listening to you in the way you talk. It's almost uh, out of this world. It can't be that true. It was just a respect. Look, I, you know, I've seen how hard he worked. I've seen that, you know, it was tough in our early days and, you know, we didn't have the things that we've currently got now, which we probably take advantage of and, and, and take for granted now. But I look back and I, I go, you know, we had to, we ate mince six days a week, but all different types, of course, of how you can do it, you know. <laughs> there wasn't tacos back in those days, but you could have spaghetti bolognese in different ways, you know. So, But uh, what it did was it, it actually shaped my mind and, you know, all I ever wanted um, was to have hot food and own a farm at some stage and that was all I ever wanted. So um, everything else I wanted for mum and dad. Okay. So uh, many years later, you, you bought your, your parents' business. Yep. How did you know it was the right thing to do? Yeah, it was, that's a good question. Um, look, there was a couple of reasons, but over time I could see that he wasn't the same in real estate. Like he was starting to feel the pinch. He started to look at people in a different light. Um, and there were people that were taking advantage of how generous he was, which is ridiculous how generous he is. So that was just fantastic, but they were taking advantage of it. And the other thing was that we kept getting offers because we were big and strong and things were going good. There was always people coming in offering for, uh, us for the business and wanting to buy it. And the only condition that one of them come along with was he was prepared to pay a really premium price, which we were both delighted with, but he wanted to lock me up for five years in the business. And um, I said to dad, if they're gonna lock me up for that long, I wanna do it for myself. And I didn't have all the money. I had some money, but I didn't have all of it. Me and Renee had just had been together for just a little while and we were still trying to build our, our equities up. And, and I said, look, I can give you this much now. I can pay the rest off over time. And, and uh, luckily for us, the, the market was good. We worked hard and it was back in nine months. So, um, you know, that was more the starting capital. We had enough to pay for the business, but not the starting capital, so. Right. So what were your early blunders? Oh, gosh. Black and white was my biggest early one. Um, okay, that's a good one. Yeah, I was extremely black and white. So I looked at a person that if they didn't do what I did, then um, I would, wouldn't want them in the business. Like you either come my way, it's my way or the highway. And so it was extremely black and white. And I did have a lot of people come on that journey um, because they could, they liked the winning side of it. But I think you've also got to have that balance. And I think it was a very good lesson that you taught me early in the piece, which was, um, you know, the eagles and the pigeons. And uh, I think that, you know, people fly at different heights and you've just got to understand which height that you want to fly at. 
and what height they want to fly at, and you don't try to make an eagle a pigeon or a pigeon an eagle. So I think it was a very good lesson. Thank you. So do you know uh, one example you could share with us? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, if I, I... Actually, I don't know an example that comes to mind. I would say more... I mean, surely you, you, you're... You're working for your dad, no matter what, his decisions, he had to live by them. And, and sometimes you probably have seen him taking maybe a good decision, it went fine. When some days you'd see him making, taking a wrong decision and you can see all his struggle trying to recover from that. Now, from one day to the next, you taking all of that upon your shoulders, you going out there, he's in the picture still, but he's he's no longer the boss now. No, I, the, but, but I've got a Megan and a Kim and a Kurt. No, but and, those people you know. came afterwards. Yep. So this is what we're talking about now, the early blunders, the early mistakes that, that, that really... Because let's imagine now I'm starting a business and I'm taking over from my parents. I mean, what would be a, a mistake that you'd say, just watch out. These are the things that happened to me when I took over. You write your own checks. I think that was the one that mum used to drive really, really hard through my mind. Right. And, uh, you know, so every um, business decision that was made, every financial decision was actually me signing a cheque to go with it until I come across somebody that was smarter than me. And um, and I always hired people smarter than they That was the best decisions that I used to make. But this time this guy was so smart that I'd give him the cheque signed, he'd walk it up the post office, put it in his pocket and then EFT it to his account under the name of the cheque. Um, and it took me a while to work that out. So that was a little bit damaging. and cost 180,000 so that was a, a bit of a bit of pill to have yeah um, oh. so signing your own checks but then also not using your gut feel enough I think there's a lot of times that you know the right answer but you actually don't act on it so having a salesperson work for you that actually you know isn't putting everything in I think and instead of calling them on it you um, you mask it in your own mind and and because they've been a top producer or they are a top producer and you start to walk away from culture a little bit things that you know are uh, the right thing to do. So I think that's important as well, so. Yeah, so hold on, so you, you've taken a business that had back in those days, how many salespeople? Mm, about eight, 10. And you built it up to having something like uh, 60 salespeople? Or what, what oh, was yeah, the number? Probably, no, not that many, probably about 30. So. Right, I see. <laughs> so, but is that uh, 30 sales and then assistants? And, yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, so there was more than 93 that. staff. Yeah. yeah, 93 staff, okay. Yeah. So, you have obviously uh, analysed a wide range of personalities, right? So tell me, if you were to employ someone now, what would be the first thing you look at? Their smile. Yeah. How they treat the person at the front desk when they no, first no, hold walk on, the door. Hold on, you're going too fast. So mate, they, they smile. What do you mean? Everyone can smile. No, no. It's different people smile a different way. So it's um, how welcoming they are to people. So their eye contact, their smile, their handshake. Um, it's very important just to... So you're looking at a, a smile that is natural. Yeah, absolutely. I'll give you an example. I was at, uh, uh, my daughter was um, going up for school captain and got a school captain's badge the other day and I was watching different people that walked up on the stage and this young fella, he walked up and he shook his principal's hand and the pride that he showed in his principal and himself um, was amazing. Um, he just was absolutely delighted to be recognised but also felt so much respect for the person in front of him. And I went up and seen him later and I said to him, listen, mate, you keep that handshake in life, you're gonna go a long, long way. So it means a lot. And, and it was funny enough, I walked out and my mum said, wow, did you see that kid's handshake? So she's very good on body language and it's something that, taught, that she taught me early in the piece. So the smile would be the first one, how yeah. they actually react and, and how they have the eye contact is really important. Yep. The heart, it's gotta be about the heart. It's really important that they've got a big heart and they speak about people in a glowing term, not in a bad term. If they come in there and tell me all about how bad their boss has been, it doesn't really wash very well with me because that's gonna be me on the receiving end one day. Yeah, and yeah, that's the one thing I, I notice a lot about you and about your, your father. It's the same, same kind of trait that you guys have. You manage to always look for the right and the nice things in, in others. You always find a way to compliment everyone, even if sometimes, I have to tell you the truth, I, I, it's hard for me to even find that compliment. You manage to do it. So maybe out of that staffing over the years, you have learned to look for the good in everyone. I, I think it's something that I probably wasn't a massive achiever at school. In fact, I was probably an underachiever. And in, in, I tried hard, but I just, just didn't have it. I wasn't as smart, but I, I was always street smart. I always learnt, I suppose, the shortcuts in life. And um, I learnt to read people really, really quickly. And as they treat their worst enemy, is potentially how they're gonna treat you at one stage. So, you know, just always look for that. And there's always good, no matter who it is, even the worst people in the world have got something good about them. And I think it's your job to find it 
and if that blends with your ethics and what your values are, then you work with it. Yeah. Now, I know that you're known by your competitors as a tough boss. And, and doesn't it stop maybe good performance from joining you? Yeah, absolutely. It does. <laughs> There's no question about it. But the way I look at it is that you're either in business and you want the best out of people for them or you don't. And look, I really don't care what the competitors say. And if they don't come, then that's their choice. But I can tell you that the people that are around me, um, the ones that have actually got in the trenches and dug deep, will be the ones I really, really um, back a, a million times. And I hope to think that their life is in a better place because of coming on the journey. Yeah. And um, I'm always looking for ways that they can win. Um, yeah, you always force them to buy a house. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I've, so I've, I've now spoken to, <laughs> I've spoken to quite a few people now who have owned many houses. And I think that Kurt, I spoke to lately, said it in the nine years that he's been around you, uh, he had a vision that by the age of 30, he'd have 10 houses mm -hmm. and had already achieved that. And, and he was about to buy his 11th house before the end of this year. Yeah. So there's an enormous of drive in you for people to be excellent and to also like build a portfolio as if like you didn't want them to work for the rest of their life. No, too true. Too true. Look, I, I think there's a journey that I've got as a leader with people. And sometimes it's a day, sometimes it's a week, sometimes it's five years and hopefully 20 years, you know, but the long and the short of it is, my job is to get them to being the best them they can be. And I learned really, really quickly, like, you know, with dad um, growing up, that he didn't invest in real estate because he didn't have the capacity to be able to do it all in the piece he was, he was trying to um, make ends meet. And a lot of these younger people or older people actually, they earn some big money in real estate, but they just waste it, like it's, it's gone. And so I've never told them they have to buy real estate. What I've actually said to them is, this is the way I do it. And if you want to come on the journey, it's probably a good idea and show them um, how they do it. So at the moment, we've got a, a program for our team where we've got a property that we've bought for them and uh, they're sharing in the profits if they stay for five years. And uh, you know, the costs will be taken out and things like that. But I just wanted for those who actually don't have the wisdom or know what to do at each stage, we're actually teaching them what happens at each stage while they go through the buying process and, and then having it, holding it, if a tenant moves out, whatever the case. But I think that's um, an awesome thing to put more meat on the bone, but it's also an education thing as well to show people the steps to, to doing it. And if we're in real estate, why wouldn't we be buying real estate? It's crazy. Yeah, so that's an amazing thing. I know you're talking about these things as if it's a normal thing, but I can guarantee you that there's a lot of real estate agents out there who work for bosses who won't even show them how to buy a house or share of a house or part of a house in order to even build uh, maybe some kind of... Uh, deposit for the, their own house you know yep. so what are the other things that you do in your team what, what are some of the things because you've built a, an army of good people yep. and when i look at now the, the good people you have they, they've been around you some of them like 15 years yeah you know yep. uh, so, so you must be doing something for them to just hang around you just like honey hang around bees you know? <laughs> no no we bribe I'm them i'm sorry or like bees <laughs> hang around honey i'm sorry yeah. no no we just bribe them no <laughs> no look the long and the short of it i've got an excellent wife and while um a lot of people probably don't know much about renee um because she's very very quiet and, and stands behind the scenes I, I think i'm so so lucky to have her because um you know she'll tell me when she has a gut feel that something's not going right, she'll um, say you need to have some time with them. She'll talk to me about, you know, um, that she popped in and just grabbed a cup for so-and-so because she just didn't think that was one of their better days. So I think those little things make a big difference. Um, we do treat the, the team as family, like, the, you know, um, we know what they're doing. You know, it was Logan's first day at, at school today, um, big school, and he was so excited this morning when, when I talked to him. And I think that's, they're the things that really, they're powerful things. The great thing about real estate is you can live, and, and the great thing about a big team is you can live 50 lives or 100 lives even in, in their life in your own. So you can actually share their life, you can share their dreams, you can fall in love when they fall in love, you can do all these things, you can go through the heartbreak sometimes when they go through the heartbreak and uh, you can buy the first house with them, you can have that feeling all over again. So why wouldn't you want to do that? Like, it's just amazing having great people around you, great teams around you. So I treat it like my soccer team. Um, soccer's always been big to me in life and I always remember the people I play grand finals with and you never forget it. You never forget what happens on the field and how they made you feel and what you did in tough times and what you did on you know those days that you worked extra hard for the coach just to make sure that you're ready for that grand final day. And I think real estate's the same. If you give everything you've got, your grand finals happen more often. So... What about the army of good people? What, what, what other things do you do in the office for them? Not much. 
much. <laughs> no, that's not true, man. I, I've been around, so I, I can see it. it. It can't just happen. You can't just keep people for up to 15 years and say not much. You can't yeah. have people around you for that long. And I, I know that the, the regime you have for them, it's, it's not it's hard for, for them to do it. It's, it's hard for them, but it's that hard thing that gets them to own 10 houses. That's hard thing that gets them to own more houses and most real estate agents working for other people. Yeah. But I'm sure that there are other many things. You know, just share with me like two or three little gems that you do <laughs> Okay, um, what do I do different? Well, look, I love doing um, things that are winning. So we have like Top Gun days yep. um, where we have the, the best of our team, the ones that have broken maybe their own personal records in certain categories or it might be the best lister or the best seller or the best property manager or, you know, um, it could be, you know, we've got our individual awards like our George Butcher Award Respecting Dad or the Ron Anderson Award Respecting Ron that used to work with us, now has passed away. But, uh, you know, in positivity or community service. So we recognise things and, and we work together, like we've got a vision of what we want to try to achieve on a board. And that's just a score or a number, you know, that we're trying to get to. But then we look at, you know, how that's going to improve each of their lives and, and what we can do with them to actually achieve more for them if they want it or what is it they're actually targeting. So working through goals, working through um, their Top Gun awards. So if, they, if they're successful, they get that pat on the back. You know, they've got great sales managers, all of them, and, and, uh, and so that really helps them get to their, their best goals that they can possibly get to because they work with them. And, you know, just um, the care factor, I suppose, sending that, that text at night to say congratulations on what's going on or, you know, probably my, my strongest one is the, the kick in the butt um, when things aren't going well. You know, if they've set a goal and agenda and they set it, not me, but if they do, I'm not holding back until I get it. So, um, you know, when times are tough, it's sort of like, the, the dad that gives the medicine to, the, to the, the child when they need it, you know, I'm that person and, and uh, you know, I'll call them on it and I don't have any problems in doing that um, to get them where they want to go. So I think it's caring that much and dad used to always say empathy, not sympathy. Um, and uh, what that really means is it's the greater good that you've got to care for, not necessarily that they're whinging that they can't make that call today. It's more to do with, I need to put you in this place because it's going to be better for you in the future. And mm. uh, if they've asked for it, I'll get them there. You know, sometimes I'm not the easiest person to work because of that reason. So yeah, but then we live in a society where now whinging is is probably is is the law of the land. Yeah. So how do you deal with that? Uh, with when you come with empathy, not sympathy, when they want sympathy, not empathy. Yeah. Look, I probably don't deal with it as well as I should. <laughs> <laughs> um, the truth is that I take them aside if if it's something that I feel that is they're, they're culturally doing wrong, I'll hit them between the eyes in front of everyone, which is not often. But if it's to do with attitude and skill, um, you know, I, I'll take them to the side, I'll have a talk to them. And generally, it's not to do with skill, not in our team anyway. You know, we work hard and train really hard on, on the skill side of it. So it's normally got to do with something that's happened or something that I've said or done. And, uh, and that's where I go back and, you know, uh, reset that and say to them, well, okay, uh, you know, I apologise for where we've got to there. Uh, what can we do to move forward and how do we get there? So, you know, when we work together. Man, I'm, I'm listening to you and I can still see as if it was yesterday, the passion you have, it's still there. So, so where's that passion coming from, Darren? Because um, after how many years now? 30 yeah, years yeah, in real almost, estate, yeah, it's, it's a bit difficult. So can I ask you, can you succeed in real estate without passion? I think it's something you've got to have, but you've got to find it. And there's always like, if you, I, I see a lot of people lose passion because they lose their goal or they've achieved their goal. And they just, from achieving their goal, they go on this honeymoon period with three to six months where they just don't know where their direction is. So resetting their goals and, and putting it there. And look, some people believe in goals and some don't. So you can call them different things, your direction in life or your vision of where you want to go or however you want to be. But Passion for me is everything, and, and whether it be my sport, my sporting clubs, whether it be the people that I work for, um, you know, in my team, or whether it be, um, you know, my family, um, passion is, is everywhere. <laughs> I'm going to be digging a bit deep here. Was passion always in you, or was passion something that developed? I'm going to even be more specific. <laughs> yep. Was passion created out of competition with your own brother? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Look, it's one of them. Um, passion was was developed because I've seen um, how hard mum and dad had to do it. And I promised myself that that was never going to happen to me, family or anyone around me. Right. Um, so I was always going to take the people around me on a journey. 
Uh, my brother may be competitive enough to know that if it was there and it needed to be grabbed, I was going to grab it with two hands. And if it was out of reach, I was going to make sure I got it anyway. Yep. Um, so, um, yeah, it was a good lesson. Like getting flogged in, in paddle bats out the backyard was, uh, was a valuable, or in the front yard actually it was, but um, it was a very valuable lesson. Playing cricket and not ever getting a bat, that was a very valuable lesson, you know. So um, they're, they're things that I can, I can only thank him for. Mm, okay. Now, is there a time to be a leader? Is there a time to be a businessman? Yeah, it's a very good question. Yes, the answer is yes and no. I think leadership is about people. A businessman is about numbers. And I think there is both that needs to be in a really successful business. I think there's a time that you've got to look at the greater good, the empathy, and there's a time that you've got to look at the sympathy as well. But there is a time where you've got to make decisions that you feel very, very uncomfortable for. I went through that in December, letting some people go because the market had changed. And I did believe um, looking forward that it was going to stay down for a while. I was wrong. Um, and I made a mistake with that. Um, was it a good choice? Yes, um, because it was the right one at the time for the greater good of the company. So, Okay, now you just brought that. If we have the wisdom to be able to wind back the clock, what would you have done different? I've asked myself that question a million times and I wouldn't have. That probably is because the lesson that I've learned from it has been so, so strong from a people's perspective. So if I'm looking from a leadership's perspective, I probably could have tweaked certain people um, at different times a little bit better. I could have asked for more because there was a lot of people that could have given more, but at the time, everything was working well. I was happy with the status quo. I didn't believe in driving people um, at that time because I felt that, that that was the time that we were successful. And you know, sometimes you've just got to give them a bit of a, a breather because I go at a pretty fast pace and that was the time. And, and unfortunately, that just entwined at the wrong time. So there's a, there was a couple of lessons there, but from a people perspective, 100%, I would have changed it. From a learning lesson perspective, then I wouldn't have changed it at all. You know, um, it is one of those things you've got to, as a leader, you've got to look forward and you've got to look at what you th feel it's going to be like in six months time, in a year's time, and you've got to be ready for that. And if you're not and something changes dramatically, then you have to make decisions quickly. It's taken me a long time to get to the point, but I make a big decision within a week, if not quicker, because I felt like I was always sitting there not making those, those calls. And a leader either makes it yes or no. And there's sometimes you're right and sometimes you're wrong. If you're wrong, you've got to learn from it. And if you're right, then you're, you're seen as a superhero, I suppose. But I'm, I'm looking at the, uh, the people and the numbers. And we yes. really state we're running a very small organisation. It doesn't matter. That's 90 people. It's still a small organisation, yeah, right? Yeah. Now, if you're making decisions, there is a right balance between business and the numbers, then, then the understanding, the prediction of the numbers, and there is there's people, yep. right? So... If you go back, I mean, wouldn't that be good to be able to sit down and have a look at like, maybe I've made some mistake in the number crunching yeah. and, and then therefore that made maybe the leadership decisions maybe go haywire, if you will. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, look, there's always lessons and, and uh, I wouldn't be the first to say that I haven't made billions of them. In fact... Yep. I reckon I've probably made more than most people put together. Um, yeah, well, you no, know. no, you haven't beat me, mate. So, so no, don't worry, you're still behind me by far. Yep. So, so yeah, the answer is yes. Okay. Uh, now, I'm going to ask you about people now. How do you turn mediocre players into champions or do you just get rid of them? Mediocre people don't hang around me too long. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, as I said, I see good in everybody that's there. And if I find that good and I can tap that good, then that's just wonderful for them if that's what they want. If they don't want it, then generally they don't hang around too long because they realise that my expectation of them is going to be too strong. And, you know, I, I can't teach work ethic. Work ethic you've either got or you haven't got. And um, I think once you've got it, you can let it go, but you can't ever get it if you don't have it. It's a matter of you've got to work damn hard at it. Um, and if you do and you're prepared to put the work in, then I put the work in with you. Yeah, okay. So I understand that we have to get rid of people who've got the wrong attitude. But So if let's imagine you, you must have a story of someone who was mediocre when they started and suddenly they are now a champion in your office. Yeah, sure. Look, it depends what you call mediocre because they, they, to me, in my eyes, when they walked in the door, they were a champion. Otherwise, I wouldn't have taken them on. But to them, say their numbers weren't good or anything like that. And, and yet it's a matter of, of working with them. But it's just finding what 
is the thing that makes them click, but also to time. You know, some people, we actually do take younger people in our office and sometimes it's just playing a, a time journey where they start to catch the culture of your team and, and the expectations of the people around you. And then they actually, you know, if your worst person's on naught, then they only have to be at naught. If your worst person's on 100,000, then they've got to be at 100,000, you know. So um, that's from a sales perspective. From a property management perspective, um, it comes down to, you know, the standards that they were prepared to walk past is the standards they're prepared to accept. So, so I hope that answers. No, not really. <laughs> I do have an example of a yes, person. Yes, that's what I okay. wanted because I, I want to know, you know, what is it you do so I can follow the same recipe? So Sean Kennedy is someone I'm very proud of, extremely proud of. He come to me for an opportunity and, and uh, we talked about this only a couple of days ago in, our, in, in my office and just where he's gone to, is, it's off the, off the scale, it's, it's fantastic. But he went uh, in for an interview. I went, no way, not a chance. Um, selfish, angry, young, and young never bothers me, but, uh, but this time it did because um, it, was, it was immature with the anger and, and where he's going. It was easy in an interview to, to make him turn angry quickly and, yep. and it, just, it just wasn't ready for it. And uh, he went over and, and he wanted real estate, right or wrong, and, and so he got himself into another company and, and uh, good luck to him because he, he did the right thing. Anyway, after a couple of years or a year and a half, he, he got the sack from there. And uh, Kurt had come to me and said, look, you know, I, I like this guy. You know, I think we can make him into something. And, and I said, um, if he's the same kid that I seen a year and a half ago, then there's no way, but bring him in for an interview, I'll have a look, and then I'll make my mind up. And when he come in, he was um, raw. It was like he was a puppy dog that had been kicked a million times. And, uh, but I, I now seen that he'd matured a little bit in himself and there was no longer the anger, or well, there was a little bit, but there was no longer as much anger as what there was. There was no frustration. He was just someone that didn't believe in himself. And, and I thought, well, belief is easy. We can get that. We know we make champions. So let's give him a look and have a look. And he came in our team and he worked as a, a bench here, a creator, um, um, canvassing and all the rest of it. His numbers were terrible. And uh, so we'd give him a nudge and then they started to improve and improve and improve. So we moved him up to salesperson, but he just wasn't ready. He wasn't ready for that connection button that he was missing with the people. And so I went to him one day and I said, mate, I'm moving you back to Benchy. And I said, there's two ways this is gonna go. You're either gonna be, your ego's not gonna be able to accept it, which is the one of the reasons that you're actually in this position to start off with, or you're going to look and say, I'll hang around, I'll give this guy a chance, and I'll see where you take me. And lo and behold, he went from there to, you know, to smashing everything as a, a Benchy. Um, he he um, started stepping up the ladder. We moved him back up to salesperson. He got his confidence. He, uh, he knew what to do. He knew how to fish. He did everything right and slowly but surely just started to increase until you know, he's become one of my sales management team and he's an absolute champion salesperson. Works bloody hard, cares for his people. Fell in love with um, one of our girls from property management. They just recently got married. Couldn't be prouder of them both. Mm -hmm. um, fantastic. Yeah. How about top performers? As you do know, in real estate, being a small business, top performers, as they get good, they think, they believe that they run the show. Yeah. How do you deal with them? <laughs> Outperform them. Um, used to anyway, but uh, look, the, the truth is at the end of the day, I think it's your reaction to them that's really, really important. I've never been scared of someone going, you know, someone sort of said, if you let a butterfly go and it comes back at your butterfly, and I think that's the way I take, uh, take the world. There is no one that's too big a performer that you can't actually let go um, and start another champion in your team. So I, I've never been scared of a top performer leaving um, and hence the reason they don't generally leave if they're a top performer. You know, you, um, you look after them, you treat them good and all the rest of it, but I think my top performers are very humble. They, yeah, they've got um, asks and needs and wants that they want, but I think a lot of them are very grounded because they've come, a lot of them have come through our ranks and they realise what they've done to get there and they realise what we've done to help them get there. And uh, I think they, you know, a lot of them have huge respect for our family, George and Trish, and, and uh, you know, when they have a problem with me, they, you know, occasionally they'll go down and pop down to mum and dad's house to have a little bit of a chat to say, hey, listen, I'm having a hard time. And then I get a phone call, what have you done? You know, but uh, look, the truth is they're great people. And I think if you love them as much as you love yourself and your family, then, why would they want to leave? You know, we're all in it together. So, yeah. I mean, so, some people have brought up the idea that sometimes your sense of loyalty to some of the performers has actually uh, outdated their their ability to perform. In yeah, your they're business, right. right. They're right. That's true. But um, then, does that bring the, the the rest of the team down? 
Yes, it does, and no, it doesn't. So I'll answer that in two ways. I think that if someone sticks by you and you're, you ride the wave of their good times, if they hit hard times, then you should be there to back them up one billion percent and not leave their side until you think you've exhausted everything that you possibly can, and even then some. And so we've had that with, with a few producers, and you know some have turned it around and become fantastic producers again because they know that you've ridden the tough times. Uh, there's probably you know one that comes to mind that didn't do that, and, and that's really disappointing. But you know you can only help someone for so long, and um, my team tells me I waited 10 years too long on that one. So, right. what about your managers now? How how and when do you know someone's ready for management? Because you've got a few. Yeah. Uh, you got they, too many, probably more managers than salespeople. Yeah, absolutely. They step up. The, the, the <laughs> truth is, at the end of the day, I, look, I still remember Kimberly, um, and it was it was wonderful. She came to me and she said, um, "Hey, listen, I want to help you with training." And she was only really young at the time. And and I said, "What do you think that you can teach that I can't?" And uh, and she said, "A lot." And I said, "Well, you know, what do you think of my training currently?" And she goes, "It sucks." And I said, um, "Why?" And she goes, "Well, I just think there's so much more that I've got to give." And I thought, you know what, yep, step aside, let good people come through, you know. So managers are selfless. And uh, and I think one of the best things is when you see someone that's prepared to do it, and Kim worked, and people might know this, but Kim actually worked the first three and a half years as my sales manager for free. It was done deliberate because she was still very selfish in her ways. And she's like my sister. In fact, you know, if I had a sister, that would be her and Megan. No question in my mind. Probably Nikki as well. So uh, I can tell you straight away that, um, you know, I look at, at Kim and I go, she's not ready for it um, until she's prepared to give without actually receiving. And, and as soon as she was prepared to do that at a certain level, she just went to a whole new stratosphere of where she's at. And, and you know, anyone wants to be a power woman in the world, you'd go and speak to Kim Burke, no question in my mind. Okay, so the ability to help others is important. Is there anything else that you look into someone before you give the management? Um, they've got to be lead from the front. They have to lead from the front. So don't tell me what you do, show me. You know, it's a common thing that people say now, but don't judge a person off your intentions and their actions. You judge yourself off your actions and them off their intentions. Well, uh, I want to see actions and actions. So if right. we're yeah. going to leave from the front, they got to too. Yeah. I mean, I know that in your best time, you used to average by yourself. I'm not talking about team like these days. They've got like, you know, people prospecting for them and all that. lot in your best time when you were working by yourself, mm -hmm. you used to bring in between 30 and 35 listings a month. Mm -hmm. Leading from the front, if you have five managers, that, that will be like 150 listings in the area. Yeah. And they, I don't think that they are 150. No, 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 there's not. No, so, so what is leading from the front then? Doing the best that they possibly can do. Okay, you know. even if it's only one-tenth of what you're doing? I mean, I, mean, I, I'm, I don't want to insult them. I know they're going to listen. If that's the case, yeah. Yeah, yeah look, uh, I just want to see the best people running the people around them. So they've got to be able to get in the trenches and help the team. And there's times that, you know, by being selfless, they actually can do that. And I'm less worried about what their actual performance is on, on the board than I am about them helping the people. But if they don't put those runs on the board, then the other people aren't going to respect them. Right. And so it's you've got to earn your respect. It doesn't just doesn't get given to you. So I think that's really important that they earn it. So you mean your managers have to be scoring higher and getting better results than the rest of the team? No. No, they, they need to be doing the best they possibly can do. And so there are times that they won't write as much as someone else in the team, but consistently they've got to be improving constantly and they've got to be putting the work in to actually do that. Okay, but when you say leading from the front, it can't just be giving it your best. That you have to measure it somewhere. So is it the yep. culture component, meaning the values that you want your business to display? They, they wouldn't be in that position if they didn't display those right. because that's a non-negotiable. Okay. So um, your values are everything. And if your people aren't on the journey with it, well, they don't stay very long. I would never let a person go if I haven't put the work into them to be the best results they possibly can be, but I certainly would let anybody go that doesn't display the culture that I expect. So, mm. so what would be the, uh, the one trait that actually slows down manager managers? Entitlement. I think that's probably the one thing that I think slows down most of the managers, not just in my, uh, well, not necessarily just in mine, but I'm talking across the board of every real estate in every, every area. But when they expect that they should have a right, they're not a manager. To be the best manager you possibly can be, you actually have to deserve it and uh, not expect it. So. Mm. But that, that's in them. What about from leadership down to managers? I mean, by that, do you find that sometimes some leaders are control freak and so therefore they, they're actually slowing down their managers? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm one of those. You know, so, uh, <laughs> so there's no question there. <laughs>
I think there's there's there is a time that you've got to step out the way and let good people do what good people do. Right. Um, so how did you make that decision? Because I know you're a control freak, yeah, right? Yeah. So, yep. so you're, the, you're the one that goes behind their plan and recheck their plans. Absolutely. Right? I've seen you in seminars rechecking my numbers. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Not all right. So, so, so when did you decide enough is enough? I, I can't be a control freak anymore. Otherwise, these people can't really fly by themselves. I think there come a time when you realise that if you don't, they're not going to be the best version of themselves. And, and you know, the, certain people reach a certain level and they surprise you. And I think, um, you know, Megan Green was a great example of that, a great PA that was sitting there in every meeting. And then one day she asked a question. It was a very simple question, but it showed me that she learnt more than me on the journey. And that was time to get out of the way. And, uh, and so I just, you know, said, okay, well, it's time to step up. And, you know, most people would go PA to the head of accounts or whatever the case may be, but she went straight to general manager and, and done a fantastic job. You know, Kimberly the same, you know, um, doing different things. Kurt the same, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a time that you just know and you've got to use your gut for that. And um, I, I suppose it's no different to when dad knew it was time for, for me to take, take the reins. You know, you use your gut and you see that they're prepared to put in the work and you know that when you shut your eyes that they're still going to keep doing it, you know. And Yeah, sometimes you use your guts, but I, I know that you got so bored with real estate that you opened your own restaurant. Yeah. So was it a gut kind of decision as well? Thinking? No, it was bloody stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was that, hey, look, we've, uh, we buy dinners for our clients all the time. Why don't we take them there? This, this could be a great synergy. It'll work off. You know, it was always about the megastore for real estate and, and wanting to have something that was an all-in-one. And, yep. you know, a cafe and a restaurant was going to be part of that picture. And, and uh, I learned pretty quickly that the cafe and, and restaurant industry are very, very different to uh, the real estate industry. And, and look, it's a, it's a great thing because if you see the things that you don't do as good as you should or that you can't, you know, it taught me a very good lesson about being present in something. Because if you're not present, then you generally find that it doesn't go as well. Mm. So, you know, and that was a, a really good lesson in, in the restaurant game, you know, um, bloody hard game. I respect anyone that owns a restaurant, that's for sure. So, Darren, what would be five tips that you would give a business owner in real estate? I thought about this a billion times and it, a lot of it comes down to the fact that I have dad yourself ringing in my head uh, about things that you drive in your values. And I, I, so I think values is very, very, very important in a business. So how you perceive it, I think you've got to have a vision of where you're actually going to take your team and why you want to do it. And they don't have to want to have that same vision, but they've got to respect that division. Otherwise, they don't want to be on the trip. So I've got a few, and it probably wasn't five, but sympathy, not empathy, was one. Mm -hmm. Look at the greater good for people. I think that's really important. Look at the heart of the person, see what you can do. Yep. Can I? So constant and never-ending improvement. Never stop learning. Um, the day you stop learning, you'll actually, you should be led by somebody else. And I think that that's um, really, really important. You've drilled that into us, and I appreciate that immensely. The Wisebury um, group, um, you know, drill that into you. And I think that's really, really good for our staff as well. Um, I always see the people that have gone to another level and talking about Sean Kennedy before, the level that he went was as soon as he started the books that he was starting to read and uh, his partner that he started to hang around. It just He just went through the roof and I think that's an amazing thing. So, so. what do you do these days to do Kenny? Well, I'm up at 5.30 every morning, so yep. I'll, I'll read for um, like probably an hour until Renee comes out and says we're going for a walk. If I can get out of it, I do. So And, <laughs> and then I continue. Uh, you know, if you yeah, see me, you'll I, see I, that I get out of it a I bit. Got, I got the line for that. It's like, I, I, I need to finish this chapter. <laughs> yeah. It's either that or um, is that what you're wearing is always a good one. <laughs> a, a, an influencer. It's, uh, she goes back and gets changed again, so that's always good. But... I think that um, you've got a section time away and you've got to be learning, uh, whether it's, I'm a very, very slow reader and I've taught myself to read much, much quicker. I will reread the same sentence over and over and over, but it gives me a really, really strong thing because when I finish a book, I've, I've ingrained the book inside me. Um, and you know, you can get to the point where some people can quote movies and I can quote parts of books because they're just ingrained in me because I've read that same page so many yep, times. Yep. So I think you, it's important. So you, you're talking about the walk with Renee. Uh, it's not just a walk. I, mm. I think it's a ritual that you guys do every morning where the two of you discuss about work or, oh, or things to do together in, in the yep. business, correct? Yeah, it's, it's either to do with the business or it's to do with goals that we've got set that we're trying to achieve or the kids. Yeah. So we, we know, we'll, we'll go through and we'll discuss those things. And normally the first 15 minutes is her just sitting there listening to me just let it all out. So she's like my psychologist, I suppose. Yeah. And then uh, from there, then she gives me her two seconds of input, which actually is like, 
you know, five years of wisdom. Um, so, uh, and, then, and then I go, okay, well, no, but you didn't think of this, and then we bounce off each other. And then, uh, you know, we'll say hello to a few people along the way, then we'll talk about the kids, and then some of our goals, and what she's gonna get done today, and where I'm actually heading, and then we go back and have a shower and bolt to work. So. That's fantastic, yeah. What's your next point? Okay, um, put great people in the best places for them, and yep. get out their way. Um, help them achieve their goals and, and you'll achieve yours. I think uh, for too long, I've watched leaders just putting their goals up that they want to achieve and, and not looking at what their teams are and how they can get them to them. So sometimes because I put my head down and bum up and work, work, work and all the rest of it, sometimes you lose sight of that and you sit there and you think, well, what's that person's goal? And you know, it breaks your heart at that time because you think, well, am I looking at me or am I looking at them? And that's a real leveler to know whether you're actually caring for your team as much as you should or whether you shouldn't, so. Yep. Fail often, learn from them, but the best fruit is uh, on the end of the limb, so go for it as well. So um, I think that you've got to understand that failure is, you know, as the books say, that it's a, a learning lesson, it's an opportunity to get yourself better. Mm-hmm. And don't look at it as a bad thing, look at it as a really good thing. Um, it's hard at the time, especially when it hurts as much as it does. And in, in business, if you get it wrong, sometimes it can cost millions. Um, so you've, you've got to be careful. Um, but if you fail and you learn from those mistakes and you better yourself from it, then that's great. But understand too that you've got to go for it. Life is, is only going to give it to someone who actually has a go. Um, if you sit in your office and you expect clients to actually know that you're there and care for you, then there's something really, really wrong. You've got to get out there and be with them. And I think too many times people are masking what they do by a text message or a, a, an email rather than a face-to-face or a, you know, a phone call. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's nothing nicer than getting praise or being acknowledged or, hey, you know, I'm thinking of you. When you, when you think of a client, you should call them immediately. That's, mm-hmm. That should be a goal. Think of your friends, you should call them immediately. It's just one of those things that uh, I think mum and dad ingrained in me early in the days. And uh, so many times the timing is perfect. It's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, so what's another one? The difference um, between good and great is how quickly you get back up. Dad, uh, you know, before it come out in the Sylvester Stallone movie and all the rest of the stuff that's there, Dad used to say it to me all the time. The difference between the best people and the average in the industry is how hard they get hit, but they get back up. And, and um, you know, I remember one day I lost 18 deals in one crack. Um, it was one after another, there were 18 separate deals. Yeah. I had them on different properties and they and the owner had bought the next one and the next one, so it was a domino effect. Yeah, I remember. Yep. And the first one fell and it ripped my heart out because uh, whilst I don't normally bank on a comm check, I was about, probably around about 250 grand at the time and, and at that time that was huge, huge money. And I sort of sat there and Dad just used to always say, well now you've got a very saleable listing and you've got a very, very motivated buyer. And uh, it was the best lessons that you could ever get. Out of those, about seven or eight of them still end up going together in that whole whole um, situation. And then I sold other properties and listed other properties from it. Um, but it is, it's a lot to lose in one month. Um, you know, so yeah, it's, it was an interesting how, one. How did you recover from that? 18 sales in, in one line. How did you recover from that mentally? That was probably the thing that I, it was one of the catalysts that dragged that into reality for me. And it was just like, you know what, if I don't dust myself off, no one else is going to care. And I've still got owners that I'm working for and lots of them. Um, it's not their fault that I actually had one that fall, fell over which created the rest of the sales. So it was about dust yourself off, get back on. And, and you know, often we would lose a deal and, and you know, and this might sound insane, but you know, we'd almost celebrate losing a deal because we'd be able to put two more together. So um, it was just the, the mindset. And that's when you've got good mentors around you. You, you just, you can't miss when you've got someone next to you that goes, you know, dust yourself off, get back on it, you can do it again. And then the next day you do it. Yeah. So, or that same day. And it, it's an amazing thing in, in it. While you're in, in the midst of that shit, you're thinking this is the, probably the end of my career, right? Yeah. But when you look back, those are the fond memories that you remember. The, yep. Those are the ones that you really keep because they, they, they provide you a trampoline for like so many other things. Plus, from there on, you've learned, hold on, if I have dealt with failure with a capital F at that yep. level, yep. I mean, now losing two deals, what is that now, right? Yep. Isn't it? Yeah. All right. So, Darren, it's, it's good to talk about fail often and, 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 and go out there and take the risk. But as you do know, when you start young, right, and, and you have maybe very young kids or you have no kids at all, it, it's one thing to take risk, right? Yep. yep. And then you get to a level now you build a, a business empire. You've got a child who's 17 now, school captain, one who's working the whole lot. So, and, and so you know you have to provide for them. I mean, it has to be more difficult 
to take a risk? Yeah, I think early in the piece, I used to always have a saying, which is a terrible saying, I wouldn't let anybody else say it, but I used to say, look, I'll never be scared of going broke as long as I learned to do the right thing by people all the way through. Yep. And I learned what I actually did wrong on the way through. So I keep those same contacts because if you've built it, you can build it again. And so I was never, ever scared of it. But as you accumulate more, of course, you start getting fearful of things that you might lose. And, and what you've got to realise is, um, are you good enough and are you still doing the right thing by people? And if you've done the right thing by enough people and you know, I, I would um, expect that both me and George have done that over our time, then you're always going to have that business walking back in the door because they actually know no matter what actually happens that your intentions were always perfect. So, right, all brilliant. All right, so what's another tip? Do you have another tip? Yeah, well, just on top of that, uh, you know, when we're talking about things that you fail with and stuff like that, I yep. remember um, doing a deal and I had a deal on several properties for nine million and I said to Dad, look, I've got a handshake on it, but I can't get this agency out of this guy. He's just said to me, look, it's as good as done, you'll be fine. Anyway, I kept going and saying to dad, look, you know, I know it's a risk and all the rest of it, but he's a good bloke and we've spent a lot of time and I'd probably been working with that one of those owners for about two and a half years, like solid, every week speaking to them and we had a really good rapport, but he'd been burned on a deal where he'd signed something and got caught out and, and he was um, of ethnic descent and, and he just didn't want to be burnt again. And uh, dad said, uh, you know, I can, I can smell, smell a problem here, you know, and, yep. and I said, dad, dad, no, it's fine. Look, I've got it and all this to it. Yep. And then the deal went together and I went back and said, now here's the paperwork to sign. And he said, I'm not signing it. And I said, well, what do you mean you're not signing it? You've got the deal pass line. He goes, well, it's going to be a very valuable lesson for you, isn't it? And uh, I know at the time we were really, really in need of money. It was about $270,000 of commission. And I had to go back to dad with the, the tail between the legs. And I remember dad saying to me, um, hey, listen, you know, we all learn. And I said, yeah, yeah, but you told me, you warned me and all the rest of it. And I, my ego was too big for it. And he said, hey, listen, we've all done it. We've all done it. Now, it, at that time, that was that was a monster of amount of money. And, and uh, you know, you still feel that the guilt that comes from something like that uh, all these years later, because it was such a huge amount in that time when we were doing it. But the valuable lesson that come from it was, if you've got people above you, yes, you can fail and they're going to let, if they reset you, like if he said to me and got angry and all the rest of the stuff that's there, it wouldn't have helped the situation. All he did was help me learn about failure. And I think that was just such a huge lesson. You know, everyone signed agreements from then on in, no matter what they said. Yep. So um, create a team, not a business. Uh, a business is cold and calculated. Know that both winning and losing is contagious. So I've been with lots of losing uh, football teams. When I first joined grade, we, we used to lose by big scores, 14, 15 nil in soccer. So that was like a football score. And then what it did was it taught me a really, really good resilience of what I didn't want. And so as that era started to change and I, I worked hard behind the scenes to make sure it did, we actually started to build a culture of winning. And there's nothing like the feeling of winning when you've been in a team that's lost. And so all of a sudden I thought, well, if I build that in a real estate team, that's going to be something special. So that's exactly what we, uh, we did, right. um, build something contagious. Okay. You don't have to be the best at what you do. You just have to give it everything. Um, that all, all the client ever wants and uh, that's all your, your staff ever want as well. So I just don't, I think too many people try to be a real estate agent when they get into real estate. Yep. And I don't think you need to be. I think you just need to be you. And if you show you, um, they're going to love it. And if they know that you're passionate about it, they know that it's something that you wake up and you live and breathe and, and that they are top of mind and you'll treat them the same as you treat your family, then they know they're in good hands. And that's, okay. that's what we try to do. And be human was my last one. Mm. Listen, I know that you've been around and seen a lot of offices and, and small, big, large real estate agencies. What would be five mistakes that you'd say they need to avoid? Culture is a massive one. You walk into offices and it's all me, 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 and, and that just isn't going to work. So culture. Well, what, what, what is it culture? Because some people think culture is, is, is like a cult. Yeah, okay. For me, culture is doing the right thing by somebody and doing what you say. If you say to somebody you're going to get something done by five o'clock and you don't do it, then you've broken your word. And you know, one of Dad's favourite sayings was, you know, you're born with your word and you leave with your word. You're the only one that can change that. You know, and uh, and I think that's really important. And and so that's something that I make sure the team really knows. So you've got your rules of your team. So your, your rules, really, yep. the, the, the and the values and the that values you have in your business. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Yep. And I think you've got to make sure that everyone plays on that playing field. If like what you've taught us over the years, if uh, someone travels down the right hand side of the road and you're traveling down the left, eventually you're gonna hit. And so um, you, you'd be very, um, very tough 
on your cultural rules in your right. team. So, so when you see businesses that, that are not going well, usually that's what you see first, is that the culture is wrong? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yep. The next is that generally yep. um, the fish rots from the head down, so the leader's not putting the effort in that they need to put in. Yep. And, you know, they won't get in the trenches. So if things are tough, they bury their head in the sand, they say they've got to do book work or they've got to be out with the accountant or they've got to go visit a client when really they're not doing it. And you can't expect your team to go and you know sweat out there if you're not going to sweat out there with them. So I think sometimes, especially with the smaller offices, you roll your sleeves up and you get the job done. And whatever it takes, they've got to see that you're prepared to put in more. Yeah, but the problem is that they keep on doing it because they, when, when they call guys like you for advice, actually things that they absolve themselves from their responsibilities or not doing it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, look, you know, um, uh, there's times that you just got to put the work in. And, um, you know, there's times even uh, recently where I felt um, that the team wasn't going the direction it wanted to go. And I realised for me, it was a matter of showing them that I was back on the horse and working twice as hard. So, you know, seven days a week and putting in the long hours, you know, starting in the office at before seven and, and making sure that I didn't leave before seven. And, you know, most people wouldn't do that if they've got several companies and going really, really well. But it was the time to show the team that, it's time to stand up. Yeah. So what's what's another mistake that you see when you visit those smaller or, or those offices that are not consistently making profit? I think your word consistently is, is probably very, very important. I think there, there is no structure. You know, they've got a system they follow, but they actually don't follow the system. So they say, oh, well, I'm part of a group, whether it be ours, Wisebury, or whether it be something different, you yep. know, um, they, they follow the brand and they say that they're in that brand, but they're not giving 100% to it. They're not following it properly. And you know, I, I think that this, the biggest sign of insanity is learning something and then actually not trying to put it into practice. If it doesn't work, <laughs> then that's okay. You've given it a shot, but not having a shot at it is crazy. Yeah. And sometimes it is absolutely just the basics that work. And, and my thing is that the, they just don't do the basics. You know, the stuff that they know that they need to do. So if it's property management, you know that you've got to go back and you've got to be speaking to the landlord, you've got to be answering the calls, you've got to be making uh, the right decisions. You know, you've got to be, if you get requests, then you you answer them and respond to them. And even if you can't do them straight away, you make sure your arrears as low as possible, things like that. If it's sales, then, you know, it's very, very simple. There's the, you know, four quadrants or, or there's the prospecting um, that you go out and you do and you find the listing and then you get the listing right and then you sell the listing. It's a pretty easy game. Yeah. What about your last one? One of the things that I see quite often is that the team isn't united. They're not work, working together as a group. And so I look at them and I go, uh, they can't call themselves a team because they don't work like that. They work as individuals and they don't want to share. They don't want to be part of something bigger. So part of that is wrong people in an office. I can walk into an office and within seconds I can go, I don't think that person should be there. And whilst me and you sometimes don't agree on that particular person, you know, I, um, I sometimes just get that innate feeling that they're not bought into what it is to be a worker. And, uh, and so for me, it comes down to individual people. And look, you don't, you don't know them as a person. You look at their actions and, and go, the actions don't match the words that they're actually saying. And that to me is really, really important. So um, their loyalty to their leader, I think um, you walk in and they speak about their leader about things aren't going right and stuff like that and you go, wow, the team's not right. The presentation of the people when you walk in the door, mum used to always say, you know, drop a piece of paper when you walk into an office and, and you'll soon learn what the culture's like. If the paper's picked up pretty quickly, then you know what you've got and if the paper's not picked up at all, it's still there in a day or a week's time, you know also what you've got. Yep. So uh, I think that's important as well. Yeah, so that fifth one, being the team at United, it's about the quality of the team member. Yes. Right. Yep. So in, in, in some ways, you what you're trying to say is that all blacks line, which is better people makes better all blacks. Absolutely. That's, yep. the, that's your fifth one. Yeah, yeah. If I could add one, it'd be yep. training. I always see teams that are losing, they aren't training. And even though they might say they're doing training, you look at them and they're just, they're not training. And so what happens from that, even though people think they're actually doing it or, you know, they're calling it that, uh, if they're not doing it properly, the team isn't uniting. So it's the same thing, but what they're doing is they're teaching their people that it's okay to, do, to not do what they say they, they need to do to get a success. So they've got to fall in line with that. Mm. Well, Darren, I'm sure that um, we're going to talk again because I, I think they're only scratching the surface. I think one of these days I need to sit down and, and, and probably explore a little bit more about your passion because I think that your passion's coming from a lot of things that you do outside real estate. The, I think you, you played soccer, but you also trained soccer teams. Yep. You, you've been involved with a lot of things. I think 
even taking Amy, your daughter, to Fizzy mm -hmm. for years to every single competition it, that has stirred your passion. I'm sure that there are days when you feel like you know jumping on and taking over. <laughs> There's no chance of that. <laughs> <laughs> so. One of these days I'd like to really sit down and talk a little bit more about that passion because I think that that is something that is missing in a lot of people in general in life. It's that the passion has now, I find, has been dissolved into social media. Yeah. And they, instead of trying to find passion in them, they try to be inspired by things that they see out there and, and they don't recognize it. But it's the equivalent of sitting in front of television and waiting for television to motivate you into yep. doing things, you know? Yep. So do you say passion is created or do you, do you think it's something that's uh, ingrained? I, I think that passion is created. I, for example, up until the age of uh, 21, I actually read one book in my life and yep. that because the teacher had been reading the same damn book for 30 years. And so to pass his year, I had to study his book. Yep. So that was the only book I read. But when I had my first leader, he, he would wake me up at six in the morning and just read through one passage. Yep. And from then on, he's created a passion in books for me that's just uh, unstoppable now. Yep. So I think that in many ways, passion is, is there. Uh, I think that everyone's got a passion. The only problem is that they don't find what to be passionate about. You yep. know? And that is also another thing. So some people have got a passion, but they're busy making a living. They're busy trying to pay the bills. And so they put their passion on the side. And they never latch onto the passion. And sometimes when you ask those people on their deathbed, that's what they regret the most, is that yep. uh, there were things I really wanted to do, but I, I didn't take that risk or I didn't go for it. Yep. You know? yep. I think that, that uh, you know, in using that as an analogy, you know, losing friends at a, a very young age, you know, one of my best friends at school actually passed away when we were studying for HSC. Right. And he was a studier, holic, and I wasn't. I, I looked back and I went, you know, what, what a waste, you know, it was. And, he lived every moment as if it was his last, and and right. uh, and he was a great uh, athlete, a, a trampolinist, and a great soccer player and stuff. And and, and I thought that was a, a wonderful thing to actually see that early, even though it was such a tragic thing, um, because what it did is it shaped my life. And I said, you know what, you've just got to live every moment. Everything's got to be um, about enjoying it, and and um, whether it be real estate or whether it be anything that we're involved in, family, the whole lot. I think you just got to give it everything. You only get one shot, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks very much for today, mate. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm sure we're going to talk again. Thank you. See you, Darren. See you, mate. Bye.